At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From KUNC and the NPR Network, this is In the NoCo, a daily slice of Northern Colorado news and happenings. It's Thursday, January 25th. I'm Erin O'Toole. More than 200 copies of the Uray County Plain Dealer were recently stolen out of distribution boxes around town. The newspaper had just published a front-page story about an alleged sexual assault at the home of Uray's police chief. Journalist Corey Hutchins has some thoughts on this. He is the co-director of the Colorado College Journalism Institute and writes a weekly newsletter that goes behind Colorado headlines. Small and mighty are the words he used to describe the plane dealer, which was purchased by residents Mike Wiggins and Aaron McIntyre in 2019. This is not a vehicle for advertising with a little bit of um, fun, uh, fluffy news sprinkled in, like you might find in the diner in some small town somewhere. This is a newspaper, I believe, that has, since they've owned it for the past few years, taken public service journalism seriously. And that's in a county of roughly 5,000 people amid a crisis of shrinking local news. It means the small paper is still managing to be a watchdog and hold local government accountable. A lot of Hutchins' research tells us this isn't the norm, though. He joined me to discuss what the incident in Uray County tells us about the power of the press and more. So first, Corey, could you sum up the trends you're seeing when it comes to the state of local newspapers in Colorado? In the past 20 years, we uh, have counted, and and when I say we, uh, researchers, including myself, through an organization I work with called Colorado Media Project, uh, has been looking at this, and we've identified 52 newspapers in Colorado that have closed within the past 20 years, and that includes 19 newspapers within the past five years alone. Wow. The publisher of The Plain Dealer told you more than $2,000 in donations had come in after this incident. That number has increased by several thousand since. So what that says to me is this is a community that sees the value in local journalism. But it surely takes more than donations here and there to keep these publications strong, right? What are some solutions to making local papers more sustainable? Uh, if I had the answer to that question, I'd win the Nobel Prize. I teach a class at Colorado. <laughs> I teach a class at Colorado College called "The Future and Sustainability at Local News," and in that class, we look at a variety of of models. Some, some of these small newspapers. I'll give you an example in Colorado, a, a small one in the small tiny town of Crestone. Um, the Crestone Eagle recently converted into a nonprofit. Uh, it was a for-profit newspaper, monthly newspaper for a while, and the folks in the community there created a nonprofit board and took it over. That is one trend we are seeing, not just with small newspapers in Colorado, but at uh, larger news organizations as well. So some are trying the nonprofit model. We've seen uh, the Colorado Sun here, which is a bright spot in the nation when it comes to local sustainable journalism, but they've been through multiple changes as well. They started as an LLC, changed into a public benefit corporation, which is really hard to understand, and then just recently converted into a nonprofit. Or a county plain 
dealer is a newspaper that is relying on uh, for the past few years, an organization called Report for America, which is kind of like a Teach for America model where they, a national organization raises a bunch of money and then pays to help place a reporter in a newsroom. I believe the Plain Dealer was the smallest newspaper in the country that had a Report for America reporter at the time that they got one. So organizations like uh, RFA and others, there is a big uh, initiative this year called Press Forward, in which uh, many large national philanthropic organizations, a constellation of them have come together to raise, I believe they want to raise a billion dollars, maybe half a billion this year to support local news. And they're looking for a way to do it. Um, as I said, there's not a silver bullet yet. A lot of different initiatives are being tried. And I think we'll see some experiments along the way this year. And uh, I would pay attention to Colorado because we are a state um, of experimentation, particularly when it comes to media innovation. Well, I know you're making time for us right now in between teaching journalism courses, as you do at Colorado College. I wonder what kind of discussions you've been having with your students about this incident. We talked about this incident at the beginning of class today. Um, this was the second day of an introduction to journalism class, and the students are reading a book called The Elements of Journalism. We were talking about uh, their takeaways from the first chapter, talking about how news publishers and new, the, the people who are, are responsible for producing the news these days have to acknowledge a lot more than they did in the past that their their audience is getting information elsewhere. And so they have to respond to that and acknowledge it in their coverage. We also talked about how the news cycle has changed over the years to just being minute by minute. And, and, and I believe that how this story played out uh, isn't interesting example of that. So um, how this, this story unfolded was that even though it's a, a small town in Colorado, I saw this first on Facebook, a post by one of the owners of the paper on Facebook reported that their papers are st were stolen. I knew I was going to report it in my newsletter, which only has about uh, 3,300 and something subscribers who really care about local media. Uh, but I knew that this story was going to get out and get broader national attention. I joked with the publisher in a text message um, that, you know, wait, the New York Times is going to call. She kind of laughed it off. Well, guess what? The New York Times did report this, as did almost, I mean, all of the big news organizations in Colorado and just Within the past couple hours, one of those big tabloidy style papers in the UK just did a big piece. That is, I think, a reflection of a greater understanding in recent years of the problems and the crisis facing local news and also journalists themselves kind of taking a protective stance about freedom of the press, uh, about what they do, and any time these days when there is a perceived attack on freedom of the press, um, particularly when it comes from a government, it's going to blow up. And if you think that you can kind of stop a story from getting out by going newspaper box to newspaper box in any small town in this country, uh, it's not going to happen in the digital age. Now, there is a twist to this story. And that is that in, in the original narrative when this came out, uh, this is a story about, it was on the front page, and it is about a 17-year-old unnamed girl's allegations of sexual assault by multiple teenagers in the home of a police chief while that chief was sleeping. So you can imagine a story like that was probably going to be news in the community anyway. 
But when somebody took those papers out of the newspaper box and tried to stop that news from getting out within the community, it had what we call the Streisand effect, where an attempt to censor or stifle a story only makes uh, more people pay attention to it and brings more attention to it. Well, in the early, if you go back and look at some of the commentary and, and the narrative and the early stories about this, you'll see that the indication was, and I think a lot of people thought this, that it's probably somebody associated with the suspects or the police department that didn't want this story to come out. The plane dealer took the paywall off that story so people online could read it, and others certainly did, and the details in it got out throughout the state, nation, and the world now. The twist is that somebody has come forward and said they did it, and that person apparently is not associated with law enforcement or associated with the suspects and says he did it because he was trying to protect the victims and he did not appreciate the graphic details in the story getting out. Well, a lot more people saw that story and have seen those details because of that act. That was journalist Corey Hutchins. His weekly newsletter takes us behind the Colorado headlines into newsrooms and beyond. You'll find a link to subscribe in our show notes or at KUNC.org. And that's it for us today here on In the NoCo. We'll be back tomorrow with more of what's happening in Northern Colorado. Robin Vincent is our executive producer. I'm your host, Erin O'Toole. We'll see you next time.